The following message is from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. For more information, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com. We're going to look, uh, we're going to look at Matthew chapter 2, so if you have your Bible, uh, we will be picking up in Matthew chapter 2. Um, last week, uh, we got to see Joseph and Mary uh, work through uh, the awkward drama of God showing up in the... Uh, birth of Jesus, and this week we are going to be meeting, if you ever think of like the nativity scenes, you have uh, the magi or the wise men, we're going to be meeting them today. Uh, so we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. I will read the verses for us, and then we'll pray and ask for God's help, and then we'll look at these together. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, Wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who was born king of the Jews? For we saw the star when it rose, and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And he assembled all the chief priests and scribes of the people, inquiring of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for it was written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them the time the star had appeared, and he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring bring me word, that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king... They went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed their own country by another way. Father, as we look at your word um, and we see this journey that these uh, men are on, we ask that you would take us by the hand and walk us on the same journey to find joy in Jesus and to enjoy him by your word this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. One of the, uh, I don't know if you've ever... um, had the chance, this seems like a simple question, but I had a chance to go on a vacation or go on a trip. But the funny thing about vacations and trips is that you always need another. You know how you ever, ever talked to somebody or you felt yourself that uh, you've gone on a vacation and you need a vacation from your vacation? <laughs> or um, maybe uh, you've been, a, uh, I don't know if it was a, a part of kind of your upbringing, but there was always kind of in the folks that I was around this this idea of the great American journey. You know, you, you go on you know, for a summer you kind of pack up all your belongings in your car and you just go and you just start driving, you know, Route 66 type thing and you just kind of start going in search of, um, in search of, you know, contentment or satisfaction. I'm not sure what the, the entire purpose of the journey is, but often vacations, uh, we go to be able to get rest and to get refreshed and we often don't find it because we need to go on another vacation or we go on these great American tours because we're trying to find some sort of inner meaning um, someplace else, um, and yet we always come back and seem to find some sort of lack going on in our own hearts. 
don't know if you're picking up on it, but the story this morning is all about these guys taking a big old road trip. Um, at the core of it, right, they are coming from the east. They are traveling hundreds and thousands of miles, and they are searching uh, for somebody to worship. At the beginning and end of this passage, it says, we're looking for the king of the Jews to worship. And it ends, they worship, they're worshiping the king of the Jews. Um, and they are taking a similar journey to what we were just talking about of why we always are going on vacations and trips. We are going somewhere. We're going to something to find our joy and contentment. And so as we're looking at this passage, we are actually joining them. We're, we're joining them on a journey that they're taking. And I think in the passage, God is inviting us to join them in their journey uh, to find true joy and to find uh, true worship. And it's found in Jesus. And so what we're going to do is we're going to walk along their journey this morning. We're just going to ask five questions as we walk along uh, just to get a sense of what is it that God is teaching us about joy, uh, not only for their story, but I think that as we look at this together, we're going to see that it's not just a, a one-time journey, that it's, in fact, a daily journey as we're walking towards uh, try, trying to find true joy. So we're just going to ask five questions. Um, so these aren't like the normal points that we would have, where, you know, a point is actually going to ask five questions. We're going to answer the question as we look at the text. So the first question is, uh, what's your story? Verses one through two, what's your story? As we are beginning their journey, their, their journey always, uh, any good story, any good journey always has kind of like the backstory or kind of like the early stages of it. You know, you have, uh, Frodo, um, who happens to answer the door and, or I'm sorry, Bilbo who answers the door and uh, these dwarves come in and suddenly a big adventure happens. Or, you know, whatever your favorite books are, there's always um, something that happens at the beginning. And so our story here with these, these guys starts out like this. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men, or you might say magi, same idea, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying... Where is he who was born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Right, so here is, here's these guys um, who are showing up. They're called wise men or magi, depending on kind of like what your church tradition is or your translation. It's the same idea. Uh, these would have been a bunch of intellectuals from the East who read big books and studied philosophy and physics and were kind of, you know, politicians or something like that. But they also had this as a part of their kind of educational structure at the time. You know, how we have, you know, math and reading and writing and all those sort of subjects. One of their subjects would have been astrology, where they looked at the stars to ascertain, to figure out um, what's going on. It, you know, what's, basically they looked at the stars to kind of figure out, like, what's the newspaper of God's will for the day. And um, the funny thing is that these guys are not exactly who you would expect to come searching for the king of the Jews. Because if you've read your Old Testament, you know the Old Testament's pretty clear. Astrology is not on the good list. It's on the naughty list. And we shouldn't be doing astrology. And yet here these guys are coming as astrologers looking for the king of the Jews. They are a bit out of place. Not exactly the most commendable people for coming to worship right? the king of the Jews. Like when you, you imagine like a king or uh, a politician in their posse, right? the people in their their group, like they wanted to be like upstanding people that like, hey, these guys like commend my values. <laughs> right? Magi are not commending the values of the king, but they're still coming and they're here at the beginning point of this story. 
Uh, the strange thing is, is that they are searching for the king of the Jews. They're looking for this king to worship. And I think it's because ultimately at the core of what's going on at the beginning of the story is that uh, God is the one that's leading them to search for the king of the Jews, right? This God is the one who's leading them. And we see that uh, with the star, right? So what's going on with the star, right? This is kind of like you have like your classic like nativity scene. Like you've always got, or you got at the top, you got the star, right? <laughs> so what's going on with the star? I'm not sure exactly what to what to make of the star in some ways because it's um, given the dating of all this stuff. It could, you know, so there's debate over whether it could have been like a comet. I don't know if you guys remember Hale Bob Comet, you know, 1999. Some people are like, oh, that could have been the 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 star in the story. Well, the dates don't actually line up, so that it could have been the star, or it could have been like an exploding supernova that's somehow like shown in the sky for seven days. I'm not overly convinced of that one either, but. Uh, one of the great things is that uh, the Chinese astronomers at the time, they kept really great records, and so there is some record of of a star, of exploding star in the sky. I'm not exactly sure what star it was. I think ultimately the what's going on with the this, this star, and we'll see this later in the story when it shows up again, is that it's actually a supernatural leading by God. Now, I think I don't think it was like a metaphorical star. There's essentially it was a literal star, but it's also, I think that at the core of it, it's a supernatural leading of God because, I mean, frankly, I mean, can, can you imagine something happening in the sky uh, that gives you the exact, like, address code <laughs> of where you're looking for? So there's a sense in which this is a supernatural leading of God in the story, which is um, which is actually very similar to how God works uh, in, other, in other places where Jesus is teaching about what does it mean to worship God? Because remember, the, at the beginning of the story, what does it say at the end of verse 2, right? Where is he who was born king of the Jews? For we saw his star, right? So there's a star, when it rose, and have come to worship him. They're coming to worship. They're coming to worship the king. And I think that we see this again where Jesus is talking to, uh, in John 4, to a woman, the Samaritan woman. Not exactly, again, another person who's not the most commendable person and uh, in terms of example. But he says to her, the hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. You see, these guys, their, their desire, their yearning uh, for worship began because the Father was seeking them. Here they were out in this foreign country. They weren't anywhere near where God's temple was to worship him. And yet he threw the star up in the sky to hook their hearts and say, there is something deeper. There's something you're yearning for. There is something that will satisfy you. And they saw in one way or another that God was seeking them to worship him. I think that the thing that's helpful to recognize with this is that what's your story? You know, what's their story? <laughs> well, they were a, a bunch of out-of-place dudes coming to Jerusalem to worship the king of the Jews, which is not their religion, right? They weren't, they weren't Jews. <laughs> they weren't a part of this nation. And they wouldn't, didn't exactly have like the resumes to commend them. And yet God was seeking them out to worship him, which means that none of us, none of you, not even me, <laughs> are disqualified from knowing and worshiping God. 
right? At the beginning of our stories, we can tend to kind of like shortchange ourselves and be like, well, I'm not the type of person that would come to church. I'm not the type of person the church people would want to have around. I'm not the type of person that Jesus would want. I'm not the type of person that God would want to be one of his people. Or here you've got a bunch of people who are literally worshiping the stars and God's bringing them to worship him, right? He is hooking their hearts to come and know him. You are not disqualified. Whatever your story is, whatever the background is, you aren't disqualified for being somebody who worships God. And he's the one, God's the one initiating this story. He's the one bringing them near. He's the one bringing you near. The only reason you're here this morning is not because your alarm went off and because you thought, hey, you know what? I'm gonna go worship with King's Cross Church folks because I really love their coffee and that got sweet mugs and uh, I wanna get together. Those might've been what you were thinking, but the reason that you're here this morning, the reason I'm here this morning is because God is drawing us to worship him. None of us are disqualified from worshiping God. So the second part, we're kind of, second question, so as we're learning, what's your story? Well, your story doesn't disqualify you. We're gonna pick up in verse three. We're gonna ask, what's your opposition? Verse three to four. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And he assembled all the chief priests and scribes of the people. He inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. Right? So you can imagine. Have you ever had the situation where you like, you're, uh, you're, there's a group of people talking or there's kind of like new people you're getting to know. And you just kind of like ask a question kind of like innocently. And then suddenly everybody gives you that awkward look like, you should not have asked that. What did you just say? You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> That's a bit of like what's going on here, right? <laughs> These guys, I'm sure in their brain, they were thinking, well, uh, we, the star is leading us. Uh, we want to worship the king of the Jews. Probably the king of the Jews is in Jerusalem because that's their capital. And probably, uh, probably the new son for the king, right? That's probably what they were thinking or expecting. So they show up and they're like, hey, where's the new king? We're here to worship him. <laughs> And Herod, by the way, who is a total dirtbag, um, a tyrannical king who was not the legitimate king, he's kind of, it's like, uh, you know what I mean? Like, Herod was not legitimate. He shouldn't have been the king, yet he, he had kind of done this power play with the Romans, and so he had taken on the king of the Jews' role, so he wasn't legitimate, and now he's the king of the Jews, and he's this tyrant. He's just like totally like, we're going to see later in the story, like he slaughters all these children to protect his power. He's a power-hungry guy, a total tyrant. And so these guys kind of like innocently walk into the room and they're like, hey, where's the new king, um, the legitimate king? We're here to worship him. <laughs> like it goes over a, a little bit awkwardly, right? And so the whole city is up in, roar, up in an uproar because they're like, oh, these guys are here to worship the legitimate king, but he's not the legitimate king. You know, like that type of thing. And I think when it says the whole city is in an uproar, probably what that was is um, my, my sense is that when you have a tyrant, typically what happens is he gathers a whole bunch of people and puts them in the power who are going to support him and their jobs depend on him being in power. And so the whole city being in an uproar is like, oh, all our jobs are on the line here, you know, like that type of thing. And so they are, everybody's in an uproar of what's going on. Um, and the fascinating thing, I just want to say this, one of, the cool, one of the cool things about the Bible and the cool things about the story of Jesus specifically is that if you struggle with, is the Bible true? Can I trust this? Um, is this something that I want to hang my life on? Is that the Bible goes out of its way to mention all these historical facts and details. Like Herod, 
Like legitimately, like we know he existed. We know when he died. That's actually part of what causes some tr trouble in trying to figure out like the star situation because Herod would have died in 4 BC and all these other things that could have been the star like weren't, don't exactly line up with the dates. And that doesn't mean that this story is not true. It just means there's things that we don't know about what was going on. But the, the Bible goes out of its way to mention all these historical details. The Gospel of Luke mentions all these kings and tetrarchs and you know mayors and governors like really like locates that this is historical fact. And that's one of the things about the story that's historical fact is that Herod was not a very good guy. Um, Josephus, who was one of their historians at the time, talks about there was uh, not a very uh, loving relationship between Herod and the Jews at the time. And so here these guys are, they're walking into the situation thinking, we're here to worship. And they walk right into a thorny mess of Herod who is a power-hungry liar who is trying to get in the way of their worship, which is not all that unfamiliar for us, right? What's your, what's your opposition is the question. Because here these guys are trying to worship and that they run into Herod. You know, for us, it might be our background, it might be the guilt that we feel, the shame that we feel, the embarrassment that we feel if other people were to know who we are. It might be good things, like our family. It might be good things, like our jobs. And the way they become oppositions is because we look to them for our meaning and satisfaction, for our gravity. You ever want to figure out what these oppositions are in your life? In some ways, what, what do you do when you start stressing and freaking out, Right? Do you start pounding down the uh, ice cream, right? Do you, when you stressed out beyond belief, your opposition is going to be the thing that you go to to defend whenever things start going real bad, when things start getting stressful. Um, and anyway, it could be, it could be a number of things. The things that we seek to escape, the things that we th seek uh, to shove down. Honestly, some of it is just, I mean, it might be our schedule. Like, maybe we're just kind of scheduled beyond belief. We can't, we can't seem to bring together to come worship with God's people. Like, guys, let's just, I mean, we're all here, so obviously we're all making a priority of being here on Sunday morning, but let's commit to being, whatever the oppositions are, I don't know what it is, but for whatever, Sunday morning is always, like, the time where, like, things just seem to, like, go wrong and trying to get out the door to go to church. <laughs> like, like, this morning, um, uh, last night, our youngest child, who shall go unnamed, um, his initials might be Silas, but he uh, was up crying all night. Yeah, I don't know why. And then this morning, trying to make coffee, and then I somehow spill the coffee on my hand, and so I've got like this boiling water all over my hand. I'm just kind of like, I just can't believe this. I have to go because it's like my job. If I don't show up, like, <laughs> but it just seems like Sunday mornings, like there's always like opposite. Just you know, just simply like there's oppositions to getting to to be together with God's people. I mean, it might be internal things of like, I've, I had a horrible week and I yelled at my kids or I yelled at whatever or I, you know, did this or I did that and I didn't, went back to these old idols or I did this again and I don't want to go and be exposed. But see, these guys are an example to us in many ways because they are undeterred. Here they got this tyrannical guy. They are undeterred to worshiping God. I think in some ways we just need to commit ourselves to be resolved that we are not going to hold back our hearts from being satisfied by worshiping God, by whatever our oppositions are. 
So here we have we, what's your story, right? What's their background? What's the opposition that they're running into, right? They're running into this tyrant and the opposition of keeping them because he's going to try to deter them uh, from worshiping Jesus. And we're going to pick up verse 5. What's your guide? So, remember Herod has gathered together all these Bible scholars and they said, okay, where's the Christ going to be born? Because here we have these guys here to worship Jesus, worship the king. And they told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for it is written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the, ru- the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people. Or the fascinating thing is that um, in last week's story and in this week's story, central to the resolution, central to figuring out what do we do, is the scriptures, is the Bible. The Bible is at the center of how we figure this out. So here these guys are trying to come, they're, they're responding to God's leading, they're responding to wanting to see and know God, and the way that they get their, their ultimate direction is from God's word, right? There's a sense in which um, they are seeing, look, I, I know that I have something in me that needs resolution, I, I'm not, I've, and it is resolved by worshiping the true king, but I don't know where he is. I don't know where to find him. I don't know where to go to find the king. Well, the word, the Bible, is where they go to find direction for where they go to worship. Right in in Acts, do we have this verse in there? Acts Acts 17, Paul says a similar thing. I don't think we have it in there. I might have just left it out. Acts 17, do we have that in the next slide? There we go. Acts 17. So Paul's talking to all these people who don't know Jesus, but he says to them, all people seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. He is actually not far from each one of us. So when Paul is talking to a bunch of non-Christians later on in the Bible, he said, look, everybody has this desire to worship God, but they're like searching in the dark. We can take that down. The, The way in which they find their glasses to understand their desires is from the word, right? And the word tells them, this is where the king is. This is, the, this is where the king is going to be. He's born in Bethlehem. Like, it's, it's a direct address. This is where he is. This is where he's going to be. So how do we get to God? We look to his word. They knew they were looking for true worship, but they hadn't quite found it yet. And so they have to go to God's word to find true worship. All right, this is... Um, this is similar to, I mean, we're all doing Christmas gifts right now. I hope, just so you guys know, Christmas is in eight days, right? And so if you haven't figured out what your gifts are going to be, you need to figure them out. But if you're buying Christmas gifts for somebody, do you go to one of your friends? Like if I was buying a gift for Michelle, would I talk to Jay and figure out what Jay wants and then give whatever Jay wants to Michelle? <laughs> That's not the way Christmas gifts work. I mean, unless it's coffee, because Michelle really needs coffee right now. Um, and then I would go to Jay. But that'd be to help me figure out what Michelle wants, right? When God wants our hearts to be satisfied in him, that's why he gives us his word to tell us this is what God's heart is like. This is what pleases him. This is what he wants. He wants us to come and know him. So we don't have to figure out, well, what does it mean to worship God? How do we figure this out? He, he tells us. He says, come to me with a, a broken and contrite heart. See my holiness, but see what I've done for you in Jesus. This is, we come to God and we confess our sins. This is why we sing all these songs about Jesus. It's not smoke screens and it's not uh, big fancy lights. It's not how we can manipulate each other to love Jesus. It's actually by looking to his word 
and responding to what he's told us about himself. Right, worship, um, I'm a little concerned about this, I don't think for us, but just as an observation, um, what we find on Facebook, even recorded sermons, churches on church online, um, great quotes online, these are not substitutes for true worship. They help us, right? So I'm not saying we shouldn't look at, you know, worship songs online, sermons online. Obviously, we put all of our sermons online. That's great, but those are not, those aren't substitutes for coming together with God's physical word in front of us, gathering around his physical word, and gathering together as his people in the flesh. <laughs> I mean, apart from extenuating circumstances where you can't get out of the house, we are called together by his word to come together as his people to worship him. Right, our, his word becomes a functional guide for us uh, when we are trying to figure out our own our own hearts and how to satisfy our hearts with him. Right, so, so even this morning, all right, so up all night with Silas, I can't get my brain straight. I don't know. I'm like, I've burned my hand. I don't want to go to church. I'm like, what, the, what do I do? Why am I even doing this? I don't know if you guys have ever questioned that. Like, why am I even going to church this morning? I, I think that all the time too. Am I even a Christian? Here we have, remember John 4. He says, the Father is seeking people to worship him. Right before I even come to the question of whether I should go to church or not, or whether I'm qualified to go to church or not, let alone be the pastor of a church or not, <laughs> at the core of it, God has sought me out. And I know that from his word. He sought me to worship him. And so, okay, I'm not feeling great. It's not been a great day. Maybe I'll just pass and come to another time. Or I'll skip missional community because it's not been a great day. And I don't want to get together with people because it's just like I'm just like brain dead and I can't, I can't manage. Well, God has first sought me out by his word to tell me in his word that he wants me to be satisfied with him. So the way I respond is, okay, God, I'm going to, I'm going to obey you. I'm going to respond. I'm going to be guided by your word to see you. So that's where we're going to pick up in the story now. Because they've, they've gone to his word and they've gotten direction. Because they, they have a story of pursuing God, of God pursuing them. And so they pursue God. They have had uh, opposition. And now they've got God's guide to help them through that opposition. And then we're going to be asking the question, what's your joy? Because see here, we've been talking about worship. But now we're getting to the core of it. Verse 7, what's your joys? When Her then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared, and he sent them to Bethlehem saying, go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring, him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. And after listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it arose went before them until they came to rest over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star... They rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. You see, it's interesting. That's why, that's why I'm calling Herod a liar because he's saying, hey, why don't you go find him and then come back and tell me so that I can go worship him. You know that he's a liar because he wants to kill him, right? That's the point. But instead of going with them, right, if Herod had been a true worshiper, he would have been like, hey, I, I want to go too. Let's go find him together. 
But the true worshipers here are the magi, these people who are disqualified in many ways, but God has qualified them because he's pursued them. These wise men are the ones who go and find Jesus. And that's why I think that the star is in, in many ways more of a, a, a marker of supernatural leading. Because here they had the word that said, okay, um, it, would, it would be like saying, where do you find Jacob? Well, you find Jacob in Manchester. Well, where do you find the king? They knew exactly where to go. They knew the town in Bethlehem. If you remember, I mean, it's not a big town, like maybe a few hundred people. So it, it would have been very hard to find him. So they had the direction, but the specifics... That's why I think the star was a specific supernatural leading so that they, I mean, I, I assume that it just right over the house because they knew exactly where to go. They knew exactly the place that this is Jesus' address, right? 227 Savior King Road, Bethlehem of Judea, right? This is, this is the exact address that leads them exactly to Jesus, right? The scriptures were their guide, but I think what we're seeing in the stars is the spirit opened their eyes to see exactly where Jesus was, right? This is not, this is not just like a God in general that we are worshiping. We're not just kind of spiritual people who kind of worship God in general. This is a specific worship and it's focused around Jesus. That's why we, we keep using this phrase, loving Jesus together. It's not loving God together, which is true, but we are loving Jesus together. That's, these guys are the original King's Cross members, right? <laughs> they were loving Jesus. They were after Jesus. They didn't quite know his name yet, but that's who they were specifically focused on. The spirit opened their eyes to see Jesus, right? Here he is, Jesus, upon whose shoulders the universe would hang, and yet here he is cradled in Mary's arms. He created all things and bears up the entire universe, was now so weak that he must be carried. He that made man and spoke into being all creation was now a little baby, breathing out soft little baby coos. He who sat in infinite light and glory was born in the backwoods of a small town he without a, who without a word was stirring up all of Jerusalem by the whisper of his birth with his last gasp would whisper forgiveness over all of us. Out of love, this little Jesus was born to humble all men because he was born to die. This is the Jesus they were pursuing. This is the Jesus they saw. See, the word had guided them, but the word didn't replace him. That's why at the, at the core of this, we, we love the Bible, and the Bible is our in, infallible guide, but our, but our Bibles lead us to see Jesus. And we get not just some spiritual ghostiness, we get a specific person. We get Jesus. When we read our Bibles, we get the outlines of his face drawn for us. We get the outlines of his love drawn for us so that we see not just that he was a historical figure that existed, but that he looks at us right now so that our hearts would be satisfied with him specifically. We see this otherwise in scripture. We see it in First Peter or Second Peter. Right, though you have not seen him, you love him. Do you not now see him? You believe in him and rejoice with a joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. What did the wise men experience? 
rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. True joy comes from seeing and knowing Jesus specifically. So Paul says over in Ephesians, when you read this, right? When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, the unsearchable riches of Christ. We get drawn for us in the Bible. All the unsearchable riches. We get, it's, there's some searchability to it, right? We get some search results. His mercy for people who are total train wrecks. His healing for people who have been abused and molested by the world. People who are total dirtbags like me and you. People who are without any hope in themselves. We get the specifics of Jesus himself. We meet him face to face. And when we meet him face to face, just like these guys, we rejoice with exceeding great joy. It is a serious joy. We're serious about our joy. But it is explosive So is he your joy? When we come together, as we look to his word, are, are, you getting, are you getting a taste of Jesus himself? Getting Jesus, getting him, right? He alone is our joy. He is the one, when we get him, when we see him, we know who he is, like them, we rejoice with exceedingly great joy. And so what's our response? All right, so let's conclude with this. So what's your joy? Is it Jesus? And then what's your response? What's their response? Let's look at this. And getting into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. Right, that's why we've been talking about worship this whole time. They, they started out, we're here to worship the king of the Jews, and now they finally found him. They, they bow down and worship him. They opened their treasures. They offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh, and being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed their own country by another way. See, what they, this is actually repeating a bit of a story. Back, it happens in First, First Kings chapter 10. The king of she, queen of Sheba, she hears about the greatness of Solomon, and she goes to visit him. And after talking to him, she, she lays down. You can look this up, First, First Kings chapter 10. She lays down gold and spices. And so this is, a, this is repeating that story. And they're filling it out. But they fell down and worshipped him. Why did they... What was their response with these gifts, right? We get, There's kind of speculation over like, oh, the gifts were, you know, this or that. I think there's a, a bit of a more simple reason. John Piper captures this for us. I'm just going to read this because I thought he captured it so well as, as he typically does. The gifts are intensifiers of desire for Christ himself in much the same way that fasting is. When you give a gift to Christ like this, it's a way of saying, the joy that I pursue is not the hope of getting rich with things from you. I have not come to you for things, but for yourself. This desire is now intensified and demonstrated by giving up things in the hope of enjoying you more, not the things. By giving to you what you do not need and what I might enjoy, I am saying more earnestly and more authentically, you are my treasure and not these things. So the reason they give the gold and frankincense and myrrh, which would have, been, would have been incredibly expensive gifts, right? These are, I mean, these are like given like a Lamborghini, right? These are incredibly expensive gifts. And they give them over to say, I could enjoy these things. Jesus, as an expression of my worship, as a response to my worship, I could, I could enjoy these things, but 
Instead, you, you are to be my treasure. Jesus, you are my treasure. Not these things that I could enjoy, right? I want you to be more, more deeply rooted as my treasure and not these things. Right, did they, so the question is, did they have to do this? Right, did they, when they see Jesus, did they have to do this? Well, could you imagine um, me coming home from work and uh, knocking on the front door and Michelle answers and I pull out a dozen roses and say, these are for you. Oh, I love them. These are great. Actually, they should be tulips because Michelle prefers tulips. They're great. I'm being, no, 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 no. It's my duty. <laughs> Wouldn't that be a weird response? That would be so silly, right? I mean, it, that would actually dishonor her. It would be like, no, 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 don't worry. I've got this ring on. <laughs> I know how this works. You are the wife. I'm the husband. I bring home the flowers. Duty done. That's not the, that'd be totally missing the point, right? I bring the flowers because she delights me. I love her and I want to celebrate her. I want her to know you are my treasure. I delight in you. So when these guys give the gifts, they are not saying, no, 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 Jesus, Jesus, you're the king. All things are yours. Here you go. They are saying out of their hearts, no, I want you to know you are my treasure. You are who I delight in. You are the one that I want. You are who I am celebrating. Because when we celebrate, we're worshiping in a certain way, right? So when we sing happy birthday and all that stuff, we're celebrating. We're not worshiping somebody, but we're celebrating. When they give the gifts, they are celebrating. Jesus, you are the one that my heart desires. So how do we, how do we respond with this? Well, I mean, frankly, how are we responding to Jesus to say, you are my treasure and not my finances, right? We, we could talk about how we could, you know, are you giving to Jesus? This is the main point of this passage. But we, we give financially to say, Jesus, you're my treasure and not these finances that I have or my time. Jesus, I'm going to give my time so that your kingdom is built and not mine. You, your kingdom and your name, your fame, and not time devoted to my, to my idolatry or myself, my, not my kingdom. Or your, your skills. Are you, do you give your, giving your skills to say, Jesus, I want, I want to craft places and spaces for you to be known and enjoyed and not me, right? Are you responding to Jesus to say, Jesus, you're my treasure and not these things, right? And that could be whatever it is, right? And that's not to say you shouldn't have time for yourself and all those things, but are you giving your time, your finances, your skills to say, Jesus, you, you are my treasure, not, not buying you off, but to say, Jesus, you delight my heart. You're worth it. You are lovely and beautiful. And Jesus, I want more people to know. The other part of this is fascinating is that this is a journey, remember? They've come to see Jesus. And then what happens at the end of the verses? Right? They get warned and they go home with this true heart of worship. They go back to where they were. Which for us means, I think, the, the reason this verse ends this way, not only because it's historical historical fact, but it's a part of our mission as a church, right? We take our hearts of worship, we come together and we worship him, and then we scatter in true worship for his worship to be spread into our neighborhoods and our towns and our streets so that where we live, more worship will be, would rise for Jesus. So that's why I think that this passage is here, not just to say 
here are these weird guys who came and worshiped Jesus and gave these weird gifts, and then, you know, that's the factual story. I think, in many ways, this is a pattern for our daily lives, right? Where do you, where do you wake up every day? What's your story for every day? What are the things that are going to oppose you every day? Whether it's going to be a sleepless night with the kids, or it's going to be the argument with your spouse, or it's going to be the situation at work, or it's going to be the kids, or it's going to be, you know, the finances, or it's going to be, you know, the struggles or the addictions that keep calling back to you. What's your opposition on a daily basis? And how do you get a guide for how to manage and think through that stuff? You look to his word. God, your word is my guide and the lamp to my feet. Guide me, God, today. Not just so that I can prove that I'm a good guy, but so that, what's your joy? So that you get Jesus. So that Jesus is felt and known, and he's the power that helps me to obey and follow and know him and to enjoy him and to worship him. And so my response every day is to be faithful, to give, to give away. So I don't, I don't need this stuff, and it's all given to me so that I can give it to be make his name known so that Jesus can be known and worshipped wherever we are. See, the journey to joy is a daily going to Jesus. I think it's at the heart of this passage. Your journey to joy every day is going to Jesus. Let's pray. Father, as we look at your word and we see this journey that they were on to find satisfaction, to be satisfied, to worship God, we, we ask that you would fulfill in us, verse 10, that we would rejoice exceedingly with great joy, to enjoy you, to delight in you. And Father, I pray that you would help us on a daily basis, on a daily basis, to come to you and to be satisfied, to worship and to enjoy Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. Please feel free to share or distribute this content, but do not charge for it or alter the content in any way without permission. King's Cross Church exists to treasure, proclaim, and grow in the gospel of Jesus Christ. To find out more about King's Cross Church, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com.